Welcome to episode 17 of Seize the Moon podcast. And today we're going to talk about one of the most important concepts in all of psychology and in self-help, self-actualization. And we just wanted to define self-actualization before we really get into it and start talking to each other. Um, Self-actualization basically is the desire to become more and more what one is to become everything that one is capable of becoming. Uh, this is actually a concept that um, Abraham Maslow uh, came up with in the 70s when uh, this, uh, you may be familiar with, it's very popular, it's called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, and this concept originated there. Yeah, we'll just start riffing on it. And self-actualization. Yeah. So when did you first hear the term? Honestly, uh, Dao of Jeet Kune Do, mm-hmm. um, Bruce Lee. Mm. So... Um, I heard about it from uh, like a mentor of mine, very good guy, uh, his name is Owen Cook, mm-hmm. cool guy, and pretty much what he, he he's a, like um, into self-help, my mentor, mm-hmm. and I really look up to him, and when he made that suggestion, check out Bruce Lee, um, I read the uh, Tao Ji Kundo, and he actually talks about what it means to become self-actualized, to reach one's uh, full potential, and that it's actually something it's not just a pursuit that um one takes on like lackadaisically Mm -hmm. it's it's almost like a need uh and yes of course i we did intro intro this with uh, maslow's hierarchy of needs but um he frames it as it's like it's something that to try to pursue Mm -hmm. it's one of the greatest things you can pursue in life in fact it gives you such like tremendous meaning Mm -hmm. Um, and also according to this article that we read, uh, based on, uh, uh Maslow's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. B- based on Maslow. Uh, and it's by, uh, what's his name? Scott Barry Kaufman. Yeah. So, and in a second, I want to also touch on the 10 factors that encompass self-actualization. But yeah, so if you guys want to find his article, it's actually on his website, which I think is called scottberrykaufman.com, if I'm not mistaken. And the article is called Becoming Self-Actualized in the 21st Century. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, where did, where did you first hear self-actualization? Uh, Ooh, if I had to guess, damn man, I don't even, I can't tell you for sure, but if I had to guess, I, no, actually, I think I can. It was actually Carl Jung. Yeah, but it was he, in his kind of conception and his terminology, he actually called it self-realization. So for him, it was a bit different from my kind of memory of it, right? I don't want to, because the thing is, like, I read Jung, so especially, like, the autobiography, I think I read it in about 2010. So from my just kind of vague-ish memory of it the the way he kind of discovered or the way he talked about the self was a something that's discoverable which is why it was termed self-realization but it was connected to kind of maslow's concept of uh, let's say kind of um, social development too so for young he said that with self-actualization or rather with self-realization what it was was the discovery of your full self of the person that you are somewhere deep within so very very close but for young because he was kind of like a mystic and this new age person it was more about sort of self-discovery than it was about self-creation so it was about kind of like um you know how plato once said that you know we never really learn anything but everything is kind of a sort of a spark or a recollection of something we already know deep within yeah so that's how young viewed self-realization or self-actualization so it's like you were sort of becoming the person who you technically already were somewhere deep within so that's where i heard of self-actualization or realization first it was kind of very new agey yeah one thing that's cool about uh young is uh, he really valued looking at the darker aspects of our consciousness of our minds mm-hmm. and um, seeing how learning about that can highlight the better aspects of our nature mm-hmm. and I think that's very interesting because I think that's really close related to 
self-actualization. Yeah, and I think that Maslow, I mean, I don't know if he, I, I don't know the history, I don't know enough about the history of the topic to say, but if either Jung sort of took it from him and sort of mysticized it, or rather kind of Maslow took it from him and secularized it, I don't know. But the thing is, like, I think Jung was even way before, no, was he way? He was definitely before Maslow's time, but I'm not sure, like, how far in advance. And I'm not even sure, obviously, if somewhere down the line he kind of took the concept and made it his own. But technically speaking, self-actualization, I think even sort of predates psychology or all forms of it because technically a lot of these guys were sort of you know kind of um, entrenched in ancient philosophy so if you kind of go back to obviously stoicism right you even go back to sort of the platonics well no not so much of the platonic school maybe more as to aristotelian where it was sort of um the one of the major factors of it was kind of developing you know kind of your best self right and it was kind of prominent in ancient greece right which is why they were kind of obsessed with exercise and sports and competition and learning so i don't know if necessarily like it was like any of their terms like um in terms of carl young or let's say Abraham Maslow um, but the point is that essentially this concept was around like for God knows how long and even if let's say Maslow kind of named itself actualization I mean I'm pretty sure since the beginning of time people have been like I want to become the best possible person I can be so yeah so why do you think that um, he considered it a need Oh, that's a really, really good question. So I actually really like that question. I think it's encompassed or sort of intertwined with meaning. And I think all of us as human beings need to feel like our lives are meaningful. And so if you think about it, right, what's kind of more meaningful than growth, right? Well, I don't want to say nothing is, but obviously it's somewhere kind of near the top of a person's needs in terms of kind of a satisfactory or sense of a satisfactory and fulfilling life. So if let's say if we need to feel like we're meaningful, if we need to feel like our lives are important, that we're not just, you know, just another person who sort of came and went and I would say growth is a pretty significant part of that like everything that we did here had a sort of purpose behind it so self-actualization is connected to purpose right so it's like this is my purpose in life that my purpose is to become the best possible version of myself and it's to essentially grow yeah and uh, it's interesting because um, when I was reviewing uh, Maslow one thing that I noticed is so first of all if you even look at what are the needs mm -hmm. the Maslow's hierarchy of needs it says we have a need for safety shelter um uh, companionship mm -hmm. and once um, and uh, other needs as well yeah food shelter companionship uh, survive basically survival needs. right once you meet your survival needs what happens is and this is something very common I think that people can really relate to mm -hmm. is that once you have all your basic needs met mm -hmm. there's something there it's like you have this mechanism in you that constantly is uh, ready to deal with uh, problems or challenges mm -hmm. once you've basically met all your survival needs which is like the base needs yeah. it's like your mind starts um how should i put this it's like uh it's as if you need some sort of satisfaction or purpose even or, or pur right because essentially if your purpose i think it leads to you needing purpose mm -hmm. what happens is it feels like this sort of um, not in all cases, but it feels like this emptiness or like this yearning that doesn't get satisfied mm -hmm. and that gets kind of, um, satisfied only by like short-term gratification. Like, uh, that, like for example, um, so in, in my life before I had any kind of, uh, purpose, um, I, I, my family was actually pretty well off. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as the basic survival needs, we were good. But the thing is, I, I know I started having um, this is for a while. I used to have a very neurotic kind of a mindset, be thinking all the time, uh, mind is racing, and I would just look to little distractions to kind of um, say, you know, to kind of uh, focus me for a little while, right? But there was no, no sustained focus. Right. It, it was always uh, from one thing to the next, 
And until I had, uh, sorry, before even I had some kind of purpose, I realized like something was missing. Mm -hmm. It felt actually like I was having some kind of pain or suffering going on. Yeah. And that, uh, and I was wondering like how to overcome it. Like mm -hmm. why was I, why if I have all these needs met, mm -hmm. why wasn't I already just happy? Why is it, why do I need more or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. And then from, uh, you know, going on that journey of trying to figure out the ins and outs of that and what's going on, mm -hmm. I realized that once I, yeah, now back to purpose, once I had developed some kind of a purpose, mm -hmm. it was strange. It's like all those erroneous thoughts, all these like neuroses, just kind of, it's not as if it disappeared, but it's as if, I could say that actually, it's as if it was, I didn't have any focus on it anymore. I felt very clear. Mm -hmm. Mine uh, was just, I was just able to focus, um... And it's very interesting, and I could see how self-actualization is a need, because until I had uh, realized that once I had this overarching purpose, I was trying to get somewhere, mm -hmm. I was trying to grow in a certain direction, mm -hmm. all these things that started uh, messing with me after my base survival needs were met, mm -hmm. stopped messing with me. It was very interesting. And, I, and it wasn't even the end there. Mm -hmm. That was just the start of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know what I was thinking? I'm wondering if like it's possible that the way we kind of conceptualize survival or when we're in survival mode is that that is our purpose for being, right? Not to say that it's satisfying or it sort of gives us a sense of fulfillment, but I think that when we are in survival mode, like we feel like, okay, our purpose is literally right now to sort of stay alive. And then as you kind of get past that, right, as you move up in the hierarchy, then you're like, oh, okay, now that I'm sort of have my needs, my needs met, now I kind of feel empty, right? Like, what am I supposed to do with my time? And it's like, hmm, maybe I should actually now look for a different sort of purpose one that gives me fulfillment and so it's so interesting that we're talking about this because a client of mine the other day so I asked him I said hey you know like what would happen if you were ever perfect like how what do you think life would become and he's like oh it would become like boring I would need another goal or something else to strive for so I was like oh so it's not like an end goal to you then so it's like if you were perfect then life would just be kind of shit at that point and he's like yeah no I would really need to strive for something else mm -hmm. so that kind of shows you about kind of who we are innately that we really need to have a sense of purpose right even if it's just survival again not saying that it leads to a sense of fulfillment but I do think in terms of our day-to-day -day, that we need it to sort of um to really continue being that we need to feel like we're doing something if not important at least something well technically it, no maybe i'm wrong because it is important to survive so we need to feel like we're doing no, something absolutely important. but for example kaufman's article is all about why is it important in the modern modern society yeah. to go back to self-actualization mm -hmm. now he didn't exactly say this mm -hmm. but one thing that i kind of feel like he was touching upon mm -hmm. is if basically if you're living in modern society mm -hmm. all your basic survival needs are most likely met for the most part unless yeah. <clears throat> unless let's say you're a homeless person living in modern society mm -hmm. fair enough yeah. or there could be uh, let's say somebody's very not well off at all mm -hmm. and they're struggling to still make ends meet fair enough yeah. i'm not trying to say that mm -hmm. but in general if you are living in modern society all these needs are met and it, it, it there is a really tremendous like need for self-actualization uh, because what will happen is as as we develop mm -hmm. and all these needs are met you're going to see that we're going to only get more uh crazy as a society uh, for instance uh what twitter facebook and all these social media platforms has revealed to us mm -hmm. is nothing new mm -hmm. except for the fact that we've developed a technology that highlights our basically our collective mindset mm -hmm. and the things we focus on mm -hmm. and you can see that uh it's this constant never-ending stimulation mm -hmm. 
that we go from one thing to the next. Mm -hmm. For example, what was I'm not trying to get into the topic of like let's say gun control or something like that, but let's say there's a mass shooting mm -hmm. for like a week. It's a discussion. Yeah. All of a sudden, it switches to the next thing in the news. Mm. And it's weird. It's very strange. It's like, uh, there's just like this call to action thing that happens. Mm -hmm. And then you switch to the next thing. And then the next thing. And it, little and things that are important get forgotten about. But okay. What was the point of bringing that up? It's just that because it reflects that where there's this never-ending stimulation going on. It's like we need to develop something a little more sustainable, like some kind of a focus. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, even as, you know, we have smartphones and people are looking down at their phones more and stuff like that, mm -hmm. there's less focus and there's a need for more focus, I would say. Yeah. And self-actualization, I think, is the road there mm -hmm. because part of exploring your own potential yeah. would probably be one of the areas that you would benefit from increasing is actually sustained focus. Yeah. The ability to be um, present to the moment, let's say. Mm -hmm. If you don't like that term, you could say uh, to get into a flow state, to mm -hmm. be at your most optimal, this is where you'll offer the most value um, and actually benefits you. It's like such a win-win. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I really you. want to touch on that. So, so I, some of you guys might be thinking, okay, like what really is self-actualization and how do we really define potential, right? And also how do we define what is the person that, let's say, what is a... Yeah, what are the traits? Yes. And actually, yeah, we, we have... So, uh, we, so we have... Um, the article yeah, uh, so, by Kaufman. So yeah. just kind of to finish that last thought, right? In terms of the traits, right? So sometimes people will ask, and I get this kind of question from time to time in therapy, right? Where somebody was like, oh, well, what do you mean by self-actualization? Because technically speaking, we could say that, let's say some tyrant was self-actualized, right? So for them, they were pretty much the best versions of themselves in the way they conceptualized that, right? We can even say Gordon Gecko, the character from Wall Street, right? He was self-actualized, right? He was this sort of noteworthy corporate writer who was actually super prominent in society, right? He was highly financially successful he was obviously well known so well respected if not well liked so here's the thing with that right so when we talk about self-actualization we don't and i really want to make this clear for everybody that there are sort of principles to it right that it's not even though it sounds pretty vague where it's like oh well what you know, the best version of myself that could mean anything so not necessarily so because when sort of the researchers right when they like scott barry kaufman here so when they examine self-actualization and they're asking themselves okay what is it that the best person of themselves should look like so they're actually actually factoring in mental and physical health. So what they're saying is that, okay, what is the best possible version of myself that I can be taking into account in the way that it will affect me in terms of my mental and physical health, making me sort of the most optimal or putting me in a position of, um, let's say, increasing the likelihood of achieving the most optimal level of mental and physical health. So somebody like Gordon Gecko, right, one can argue was actually pretty depressed, right, because he was pretty lonely. Not very many people liked him. He lived in this sort of Machiavellian mindset of like, you know, it's better to be and loved. Therefore, I mean, one can argue again, I, you know, I don't really know him, but I look for a lot of people that I do see that are sort of, you know, kind of, um, honed in on achieving personal success they're actually not very happy and they're very lonely and for them like even though they're well respected it's like they don't feel the sense of intimacy and obviously comfort that they get from other people it's well, a balance yeah well yes definitely and so when we talk about sort of becoming your best version sometimes people think oh well being highly individualized is that best version mm, not in terms of the outcomes of mental and physical health and we know that mental and physical health are intertwined so it's like if you're sort of really depressed and you're kind of really anxious afraid of losing your fortune chances are you're going to have some physical consequences 
consequences of that too. So this is sort of the way that Scott Barry Kaufman has defined um, self-actualization. So I'm going to kind of read a little prelude to it and then I'm going to go through the characteristics. Okay. So he writes, after combing through Maslow's writings, I created an, an initial scale. And so you guys, if you want, you can go on his site and you can actually take the exam to see how self-actualized you are, by the way. And also, yeah, we could also put a link to the article in the description. Yeah, we should. That works. Okay. So, I created an initial scale with 92 items, spanning 17 characteristics of self-actualizing people. After rigorous testing, I found that 10 of Maslow's proposed characteristics of self-actualization stand up to scientific scrutiny. Not bad considering his list was proposed nearly 70 years ago. So, these are the 10 characteristics of self-actualization. So, continued freshness of appreciation. And so, an example of this is, I can appreciate again and again, freshly and naively, the basic goods of life, with awe, pleasure, wonder, and even ecstasy, however stale these experiences may have become to others. So, acceptance, a sample item of this is, I accept all of my quirks and desires without shame or apology, which is obviously incredibly difficult to achieve. So, authenticity, I can maintain my dignity and integrity, even in environments and situations that are undignified. Equanimity, I tend to take life's inevitable ups and downs with grace, acceptance, and equanimity. Purpose, I feel a great responsibility and duty to accomplish a particular mission in life, which is what we were just talking about. Efficient perception of reality, I'm always trying to get at the real truth about people and nature. Humanitarianism, I have a genuine desire to help the human race. Peak experiences, I often have experiences in which I feel new horizons and possibilities opening up for myself and others. And that's something that you focused on, I remember, especially when we were in Atlantic City. And how much you yeah. yeah absolutely yeah and the last one is, oh no two more so the last two are good moral intuition i can tell deep down right away when i've done something wrong and this is for me my favorite creative spirit i have a generally creative spirit that touches everything i do and so so for mm -hmm. example yeah let's flush it out just for fun sure. so for example continue freshness of appreciation mm -hmm. right so for instance uh we do this podcast all the time we sit in this pretty much the same exact seats and all that mm -hmm. however Continued freshness of appreciation, as in, you you may see the same thing again, but it's not the same thing because it, you're seeing it now. You're seeing like a different version of it. It may seem like you, wherever you're uh, going or the person you're seeing, you've seen them before, but with the, the continued freshness of uh, freshness of appreciation, you would be able to accept the idea that uh, everything is in constant flux. Change is the only constant. You would. Every time you see something, it's with a new eyes, with a fresh set of eyes. Yeah. Then uh, acceptance. Well, I suppose, yeah, so as opposed to resisting what's happening mm -hmm. or having some kind of reaction to what's going well, on. Is that, I think we're talking about self acceptance. Oh, I accept, yeah, the self acceptance. I accept all of my quirks and desire without shame or Yeah, apology. but I'm sure it applies to acceptance in general, right? Well, yeah, that was actually efficient perception of reality. I'm always trying to get at the real truth of people and nature. Fair yeah. enough, mm -hmm. fair enough. Oh, well, I hear you. I mean, Definitely yeah, self acceptance mm -hmm. for sure, yeah. right? But yeah, okay, so then let's move on. Yeah, so authenticity. Mm hmm. Being real, not to not to play out a certain character, uh, staying true to yourself, your your uh, beliefs, not necessarily trying to kowtow to some sort of uh, either conditioning or um, what culture wants you to be. Maybe to some extent, but you're you still express yourself mm, genuinely. Yeah. Uh, then let's see equanimity. This this one's actually uh, new to me. Uh, so I tend to take life's ups and downs with grace, acceptance, and equanimity. Okay, so actually that kind of uh, goes with acceptance for me, mm -hmm. to be honest, okay. in, in the way that I was talking about it before. Mm -hmm. I, I could see that. Thank you. Uh, purpose. Mm -hmm. So for instance, um, 
this podcast. You can argue for us, it's our purpose to teach people, you know, what we learned that helped us in our life and hopefully it helps someone else. And because it's, you know, through the internet, yeah. it makes some kind of uh, impact, hopefully, ideally. So you can call that a uh, purpose. Uh, Leon probably has other purposes as well as a psychotherapist. Yeah. And, a writer. Yeah, as a writer. Yeah. So, wow. There you go. There's a lot of stuff going yeah. on over there. Um, humanitarianism, kind of. Which uh, is a big one. Yeah, it ties also to... Okay, so, but not to relate it back to us, because we just used that example, mm-hmm. but in general, um, wanting to help others, to be in service to others, yep. is, is a trait of self-actualization. It's kind of like your, it goes back to that community episode that we yeah, did. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Yeah, mm-hmm. when you're in service to others, you're also kind of optim- uh, operating at your most optimal level. And it's like a win-win situation. You help yourself and you help someone else. It's not The, the truth is you're not trying to help yourself, mm-hmm. but it ends up paradoxically working out that way in case yep. you're hearing this for the first time that might help you to transition to that sort of way of thinking. Honestly, I, I like to frame things like that. For example, say somebody's coming from that very individualistic mindset. Mm-hmm. If you do say that it's a win-win, mm-hmm. I think when you frame it that way, they'll at least begin to try this action because it still helps them anyway. Yeah. Eventually, they'll see why this principle exists. But, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I do think that it actually is part selfish. I mean, because you learn it by helping others, you essentially help yourself. And mm-hmm. Yes, yes, but it's. Uh, I feel like at that point, it's you can argue it because the intention mm-hmm. starts to change. Maybe in the beginning, yes, yeah. you mm-hmm. might... Or it could it. be half. It doesn't necessarily have to be zero sum where it's one or the other. It could be both. It could be like, I want to help this person because I genuinely want to help them and they also want to feel good about it. So, and interestingly, so and on that point, right? So Scott writes, it is clear that Maslow never conceptualized self-actualizing people as selfish or purely individualistic, despite such misrepresentation by some modern com- commentators. So instead, Maslow increasingly became convinced that self-actualization is healthy self-realization on the path to tra- self-transcendence. So and kind of Scott goes on about how he sort of fears that this has been kind of reconceptualized and misconceptualized. That for Maslow, essentially, self-transcendence was actually kind of encompassed what it was to be self-actualized yeah mm-hmm. and that's definitely the community episode yeah so mm-hmm. the so now that we've highlighted the traits of someone who is self-actualized it the thing is to pursue self-actualization is is very interesting because what like again uh i can only i suppose speak from my own experience mm-hmm. but when i've pursued it or uh, you can argue i'm still per- no I'm everyone is still everyone pursuing. is yeah not necessarily i've never met anyone who's completely self-actualized no so, no oh, uh, was mean? pursuing self oh i got you i got you mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. so the pursuit of it is very interesting like there's a kind of a freshness that life takes on when you try to pursue self-actualization mm-hmm. um there's this kind of growth that goes on uh, and a constant change. And it's something that it's, it's very nice because it kind of takes you away from that humdrum routine existence yeah. that could be very soul sapping. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, uh, do you feel like there are things that you do um, besides maybe the podcast that kind of 
uh, for you is like a pursuit of self-actualization? Yeah, I mean, definitely psychotherapy because sometimes I deal with like really truly difficult people and of which I am at times myself. So, I mean, that's kind of the hard part, right? And obviously running your own business, figuring out obviously kind of the balance of sort of helping people, but then also in a sense helping yourself because I do have to make a living, right? As all of the other therapists in private practice do and everybody else who obviously has to work or run a business or whatever it is. So for me, kind of what self-actualizing is, is essentially it's maturity, right? Sort of how do I, and I like there was, um, I forgot what it was. Oh, yeah, the equanimity part, sort of dealing with life's ups and downs in a sort of very serene way. Not sure that's ever really possible for me, at least, but that's kind of the goal, right? Sort of helping myself. Or You're get, pursuing that. Yeah, yeah. So getting sort of through these difficult experiences, right, and saying to myself that, okay, that this is literally just a part of life. Because sometimes I can be very spoiled, but I'm like, no, I don't want to do this, and I don't want to do that, and I don't want to go through this because this is too hard, and I don't want to do the shit that's literally just rote, right, where I'm just doing it over and over and over again. So for me, kind of the, I guess the most... I guess important based on kind of how it affects my life is that part, the equanimity, the dealing with life's and downs with serenity and sort of even trying to empathize with other people, especially when they are sort of being difficult toward me. That's another hard part. So for me, I kind of just quickly like sort of shut down and build up a wall and I'm like, no, like you're not going to bully me. Right. And then so I try to kind of stand up for myself. But then for like, I mean, as a therapist, as just as a person, you also have to try in some way to empathize with the other person and sort of ask yourself why they're doing what they're doing. So it's like a delicate balance that you have to maintain as you're even trying to move towards, for yeah. example, equanimity. Yeah, which is like, in, in that respect, I think it's very kind of connected to that Bill Irwin quote, right? To understand all is to forgive all. And I think for me, that's one of the hardest lessons to learn. Because when you're kind of like, when I'm in that moment, I'm like, oh my God, like this is like, this person's really pissing me off. And so for me, I have to kind of try to understand what they're going through, which is like, it's not a knee-jerk reaction. You know what's interesting though? The, the reason why, um, so I can see how you just said, you called it a knee-jerk reaction, mm -hmm. right? Um, for some reason, for me, it turned into a knee-jerk reaction to, um, to do the seek first to understand and to be understood thing. Mm -hmm. Only because, and maybe this might help, that's not necessarily the point of our conversation, no, but sure. for fun. Mm -hmm. um, when you frame it as, uh, if you do seek first to understand, then to be understood, mm -hmm. what happens is, then the whole thing kind of, uh, break, the, the argument or the intense energy or tension tends to break down. Mm -hmm. Um, so I kind of just trust in the, that principle because anytime I've employed it, it actually does work. I've mm -hmm. had, like, let's say I had an argument, mm -hmm. uh, with someone and then all of a sudden, like I remember to seek first to understand then to be understood. Mm -hmm. I'll take a summary of what they said. We've discussed this before, but I'll just say it again. Why not? Mm -hmm. Take a summary of what they said, say it back to them. Mm -hmm. Then they feel like they're understood. Mm -hmm. Once I can kind of sense or suss out that they they feel understood, mm -hmm. then I feel like I can say my piece, which may now they may be more willing to listen to, mm -hmm. and then just kind of wash, rinse, repeat the whole process. They may not also be um, into doing the whole to understand all is to forgive all thing. Mm -hmm. Even if they're not and it's one sided, I still find that the principle works, mm -hmm. and it does eventually calm down yeah. and um, it may also ha I mean I, I'm not a psychotherapist so I can't speak for, to this but I imagine 
uh, when they feel like they're understood, that'll increase the bond and the it definitely chances does. that they'll yeah. listen to you. The and... chances of when I've done that, when I sort of obviously try to empathize with them and say like, oh, this is what you're feeling, or this is how I perceive what you're feeling, yeah, it's definitely been more helpful than when I kind of just stand like Oh, this ground. is how I perceive what you're feeling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, cool, because you got to be like really careful when you say like this, oh, I know how you feel. That is usually met with completely resistance. Well, complete resistance. So the best response I've ever gotten was obviously the most kind of frequent one is, you have no idea what my life is like. So when you say like this is sort of my my perception or my interpretation, it could sort of open the door for obviously correction or it can get them to say like, oh no, wow, yeah, you're right. That's exactly how I feel. So it's like the wording is always something that you have to be really careful with. And not just with clients or literally just people in general. Mm. So even if you mean sort of the best or you have the best intention, doesn't necessarily mean it'll go over well. What made you want to... Um... What made you want to pursue self-actualization? Because uh, there's different reasons for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand that we did highlight that once you have your basic needs met, there's yeah. a chance that you might experience some sort of emptiness and then mm-hmm. try to pursue higher goals in order to um, alleviate yourself of that, even though that's not necessarily what... It doesn't become that, mm-hmm. but that might be initially what it is, yeah. at least for me. Uh, what what happened with you? That's a really good question. So a need for purpose in life. So I think maybe something we talked about at some other episode at some time. So there are certain people who, let's say, and this is, by the way, a really good thing. So there are certain people who can kind of just get up, right, and say, you know what, my God, like the sun is shining, the birds are chirping, the trees are blooming, everything looks so beautiful, and they could just go to work and say, oh my God, like I solved this problem, I feel so good about myself, my boss gave me praise, right? And you're just like, wow, man, like this person is really, really happy and there are people who are like that right who are just able just to kind of take things as they come and just sort of enjoy what they have around them I'm not one of those people so I need meaning so for me like if my life doesn't have a purpose I don't care like how many problems I solve I don't care how much praise I get like it's not let me not say that that's too black and white but it's not that significant to me like it matters but it matters for like a split second where it's like "Mm, okay that's really cool and then I forget about it and then I feel depressed again so for me I really need an underlying meaning to life so without because like I'm like I have a terror of death right as obviously some people do so like for me the best everyone's got it I think they have a fear of it not necessarily a terror there are some people who are more afraid of death than than others. Right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So there's this kind of scale to it. Like, so for me, like I used to be like terrified of death. Where literally it was on my mind all the time. I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna like die. <laughs> That's why I'm like an existential therapist. Whereas like most people could just sort of go about their days and just kind of enjoy life without really thinking about I it. I can relate, but it's interesting. I didn't know like a, a terror of death. Yeah, terror. Where it literally sort of encompasses the vast majority of your life. That's what that's what I was like. So the thing is, when it comes to death, right? The real sort of way or the end antidote or the way to go about it you know kind of whatever overcoming it or diminishing its intensity is literally by trying to become self-actualized or by finding meaning in life right which obviously is connected so for me i realized that the only way i was really you know this is after years and years by the way i don't mean to make this sound simple because at first i wanted there to be an afterlife i was religious then i was into like spiritual stuff the new age stuff and it's like oh my god i have to find a way to live forever i was like i don't want to die but then after some time and as you do mature you kind of realize that you know this 
this is most likely all there is. So I realized that the only real way for me to kind of have a meaningful life or for me to overcome the terror of death was actually to have a meaningful life. And so a meaningful life essentially encompasses growth, right? So it encompasses learning, it encompasses sort of figuring out a way to be the best person you can within your community, uh, encompasses a way to be important to the people you love and maybe kind of in the broader community. And so for me, pretty much it started literally with the fear of death where I was like, oh my God, I have to find a way around this. So I first went to religion, that didn't work. Then I went to kind of spirituality, that didn't work. And then I was like, okay, the only real way for me to overcome this is literally to become self-actualized. Hmm. What about you? Well, um, yeah, I kind of said it before, but yeah, I started feeling also just empty. Mm -hmm. And I realized that the I, I needed some kind of a purpose. And I would it, it was a very popular thing. Like, for example, in my early 20s, there was this talk of find your passion. Yeah. Find the thing that uh, uh, excites you the most and make that your work, mm -hmm. right? And I love that idea, but at the same time, I didn't know how to align what I wanted to do with my life mm -hmm. with some sort of career that already exists in the world, mm -hmm. like some sort of beaten path, yeah. right? And I, I, I value people who, for example, want to do something that already exists. Mm -hmm. For instance, somebody wants to be a lawyer, there's a path to that. Yep. Somebody wants to be a doctor, there's a path to that, right? But say um, your path, say what you want to do, uh, may relate to, like for example, one thing that I wanted to do, like ever since I was young, was to be a therapist actually. That was one of the highest passions I had. Mm -hmm. Then as I went through life and I started learning about what it entails, for instance, the relationship between um, psychotherapy and psychiatry, mm -hmm. Um, how sometimes you may uh, be or, or oh sorry let me backtrack a little I actually wanted to be a psychiatrist initially mm -hmm. I didn't I, then I learned what it entails which is uh, giving people uh, prescriptions and uh, certain medicines that may or may not work testing it and the, all this trial and error and I didn't really value that method of it I actually but just just kind of just as an aside so just really quick, really quick, because I just don't I don't want our listeners to think like that's all that psychiatry is because they're actually really, really good. I was about to say oh, Okay, go yeah. go ahead then. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I realize that that's not all that yeah, psychiatry yeah, yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're really, really good psychiatrists out there. And it is combined with aspects of psychotherapy and real discussion with someone and psych yeah. and psychiatry really does help people. Yeah. Just that it didn't jive with how I wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. Also, um, the fact that it was one person at a time that you were speaking to, mm -hmm. I actually didn't like that. Okay. Um, I like the idea, because the thing is, I, I understand, there's this idea I heard a long time ago. Mm -hmm. If you want to change the world, if you want to change the world uh, globally, mm -hmm. you must first start locally. Mm -hmm. And that makes plenty of sense, right? And if everyone followed that, then the world would of course change, right? Because mm -hmm. if you did it local to where you are and everyone employed that, yes. of course, yes. Mm -hmm. And it would be like a bandwagon effect. It's fantastic, ideally. Yeah. However, um, I realized that the moment that we had the kind of access we do now with the internet mm -hmm. and reach, yep. that to act globally is to act locally. Mm -hmm. It is now because the internet is virtually almost everywhere. Yep. Not everywhere yet, but it it's basically is. Yep. So, um, so purpose. Purpose, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was interesting. It was a whole arduous process. I would listen to like people like Alan Watts, who mm -hmm. was fantastic. Mm -hmm. I loved listening to Alan yeah. Watts, learning about the ego, um, 
trying to transcend my own ego or um, the concept that uh, Maslow has or Kaufman refers to self-transcendence, yes. which is related. Mm-hmm. And um, it was it was tough because uh, I, I realized that to do something um, that I really wanted to do, I had to do something that was that's not traditional. Mm-hmm. I had to do something that was a little off the beaten path. There are people who kind of do what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. but it's tough to really say I want to do what they do. For instance, like a Tony Robbins, mm-hmm. uh, I think he's amazing, tremendous. I like that he does uh, seminars in front of a whole crowd of people. He has uh, read, according to him, over 700 different psychology books. Okay. Fantastic. It's great. And uh, his teaching methods have really impacted people, changed their lives. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do that exactly. Uh, but I did like the idea of um, the fact that you're speaking to a lot of people, mm-hmm. and that there's a huge reach, mm-hmm. and that the impact that you can make is better, at least than if you just impacted one person. Mm-hmm. So um, then I thought of people like Rogan, for instance, who has a podcast mm-hmm. and ha- which has tremendous reach. Yeah. And yeah, that also worked, mm-hmm. right? I also saw people who had pages on Facebook who would share little uh, like memes, for instance, mm-hmm. of quotes. And it was something very simple. Yeah. Uh, and as I found, I was definitely a, a what would you want to say, like a customer or in the demographic of people mm-hmm. who like things like that. Yeah. I thought it was simple. You put a nice quote over there. It's a nice picture. Mm-hmm. It gauges you. And you might check that out every day if you like that particular page. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's not too much depth going on there depending on how you want the quote to be viewed yeah. or there's not enough of explanation there in order to make any kind of lasting impact to anyone. But it is valuable. Mm-hmm. So I would explore all these different areas. But then eventually we meet, right? Mm-hmm. And um, well, even prior to that, I did develop uh, that page Ego Ends Now and mm-hmm. I wanted to develop it even further and make it into some kind of a, like a network company that had all the, uh, you could say quote unquote best people in the world mm-hmm. who, who in every category, whether it was physical fitness or uh, mental health, mm-hmm. um, in other fields and scientific fields or philosophy, just wanted to take like the best people from all these areas mm-hmm. and somehow put them all in one place mm-hmm. and see if uh, it would be possible to make it something that's mainstream in the same way that uh, viral videos become mainstream, like they get like 60 million views mm-hmm. or, or just millions of views or something like that. Yeah. I was wondering if there was a way to make a... Um, psychological or self-help kind of video uh, mainstream as well. Right, so your purpose was self-transcendence, to kind of create this platform for other people. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because when I realized, uh, when I learned about, for example, the ego, Mm -hmm. in terms of the working definition used by Eckhart Tolle, uh, because different definitions everywhere oh, yeah, ego. Yeah, definitely. But yeah. But, Freud's was even different. Oh, yeah. totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and mm-hmm. he had split it up into ego, super ego, id. But mm-hmm. yeah, so Eckhart Tolle's definition of it, I was like, once I learned about it, it had created such a, a shift in the things I paid attention to mm-hmm. and my own awareness. And then I was thinking, whoa, how do I take what I just learned, mm-hmm. can it, and teach it? And in a way that's even 
like a better way of distributing it. Mm -hmm. Because the thing is, uh, Eckhart Tolle comes from a sort of spiritual discipline. Mm -hmm. In fact, he might not say that. If you asked him, he might actually say he's from uh, philosophical, psychological, may say, say things like that as well. Yeah. I don't know for a fact. Mm -hmm. But that's the general view of him. And the thing is, that's very niche. Mm -hmm. And uh, while it is valuable, and it's changed lots of people's lives, mm -hmm. and mine included, I was thinking, how can I make this something very digestible to the mainstream? Mm -hmm. So I was thinking, if I can learn this, if uh, and I used to say it like this, if some idiot in Brooklyn can learn <laughs> about you know how to become present to the moment, not think so much, and not have too many arguments with people or any at all, mm -hmm. and kind of learn to think in nuanced ways and all that, mm -hmm. anyone can do it because mm -hmm. I am not special. Mm -hmm. And that's how I used to frame it. I still frame it that way, but I don't know how great it is to say I'm an idiot to like a <laughs> whole audience yeah. or something like that. To imagine that sound like taking and then, that in the and then, Yeah, I would say that that's pretty irrational. No, no, no. But I didn't mean yeah. it like that. I just mm -hmm. meant in a way to kind of self-deprecate. Yeah. In a way that shows I'm not like this haughty, like this... I hear you. Oh, I learned about the ego. Mm -hmm. Whatever. I am your guru. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, seriously. I didn't like that idea at all. Mm -hmm. And, um, okay. So then this podcast, though, is great because... We get to talk about certain ideas in depth mm -hmm. and explore them, um, suss out the most important aspects of, of these topics. Mm -hmm. And since we're talking about it, we're just regular guys. It's very digestible. It's something that'll go out to people. And in that sense, I would connect that to my purpose, mm -hmm. which is to make it easier for other people when, because it's a lot of the pain that's in the world is very unnecessary. Mm -hmm. I don't, and the thing that's most genuine about my desire for this purpose is I don't like unnecessary suffering. Mm -hmm. It's really weird mm -hmm. to me. It's a no. It's just something that it's just like, uh, why are you doing it this way? Is the instant uh, feeling I have. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, if you if you knew about this, you wouldn't uh, have unnecessary suffering. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you would still have it. But not to like the way we self-sabotage and create so much unnecessary pain. Yeah. Just as long as there's still war in the world, a hundred percent, I'm still with this purpose mm -hmm. uh, because that means that people don't understand each other, and there's not a way for us to cooperate and think of more, uh, like of a better way to uh, continue the human species. I don't, I don't know if we have to be so territorial mm -hmm. and be like, this is my land. This is your land. These are the rules in this land. These are the rules in that land. Mm -hmm. And then all, all these conflicts. Yeah. Um, but I suppose that maybe it's just a stage in uh, humanity's growth. I think we're way better off today than we were many years ago mm -hmm. uh, in certain aspects. And uh, if anyone's interested in learning about that, uh, we could defer to Steven Pinker's book, uh, Better Angels of Our Nature, mm -hmm. and his second book, Enlightenment Now. Now... Also, there are people who say things in contrast to what he says. Mm -hmm. I think that should also be looked at mm -hmm. and integrated into a more like a realistic view of what's going on in the world. Yep. But I do like what he pointed out that there's been a lot of changes in the world. And I think that it's just a matter of momentum mm -hmm. and uh, pushing certain ideas out and then making sure that the people who come after us also continue to kind of push those ideas yep. and spread that influence. Mm -hmm. 
So, and just to quickly define self-actualization in the context of self-transcendence, or rather self-transcendence in the context of self-actualization. So this is again going back to Barry's paper. So he wrote, as Maslow wrote in his 1961 paper, peak experiences as acute identity experiences. So this is Maslow's quote. So the goal of identity, self-actualization, seems to be simultaneously an end goal in itself and also a transitional goal, a rite of passage, a step along the path to the transcendence of identity. This is like saying its function is to erase itself, right? Something that you talked about. So put, put the other way around, if our goal is the Eastern one of ego transcendence and obliteration, of leaving behind the self-consciousness and self-observation, then it looks as if the best path to this goal for most people is via achieving identity. So a strong real self and via, be, uh, via basic need gratification. So essentially here, and this is a really good quote by Barry. So he says, self-actualized people don't sacrifice their potentialities in the service of others. Rather, they use their full powers in the service of others. And this is an, an important distinction. So he says, you don't have to choose either self-actualization or self-transcendence. The combination of both is essential to living a full and meaningful existence. So pretty much self-actualization is, in a sense, self-transcendence. It's like when you go beyond yourself, you're pretty much actualizing kind of the maximum amount of abilities that you have. So sometimes kind of there's this distinction between kind of, uh, we talked about it, right, like ego death. And it's like sometimes people would say, well, why would you want to kill your ego, right? Don't you just want to like achieve things and, you know, sort of fully be alive in that sense that, you know, you're, you know, high by, you're having individual sort of peak experiences. So, and I think you said essentially that it's a combination of the two, right? Sort of, you know, kind of the one mountain and the second mountain. What, That's up? one. Yeah. A hundred percent. But then also just to add on to that, mm. I mean, ego death, if you think about what are some of the traits of someone who is self-actualized, mm -hmm. for instance, uh, equanimity or acceptance of what's going on mm -hmm. and also uh, an acceptance of yourself and this kind of growth-based mindset. Mm -hmm. In essence, if you are pursuing growth, this is pursuing constant change. Mm -hmm. The ego, strictly speaking, is this is, is basically your identity. Mm -hmm. And if you're in this constant change, this constant growth, your identity is constantly shifting. Mm -hmm. In its shifting, you can argue that's where the death is of the ego mm -hmm. because it wants to remain one particular thing. Mm -hmm. But because you're pursuing growth and change it keeps changing yeah. it's that in that sense that's that's the ego death there mm -hmm. yeah yeah so it's it's intertwined with your community so it's like by being a mature person right by sort of self-transcending you're essentially doing the same thing it's you're self-actualizing and you're accepting constant change yeah instead of trying to keep things the same mm -hmm. yeah. though there I, but yeah, back to, of course, it is a combination. Mm -hmm. I think there needs to be, uh, I think it's okay to respect the idea of trying to keep things similar or the same, mm -hmm. but just a little bit leaning on your edge. Right. Uh, because if, if you're thrown completely off balance mm -hmm. and there is just this constant change all the time, yeah. Uh, is there really any grounding yeah. technically? And, and so, and I think this is something that we touched on in the second show, right? So again, kind of going back to the first and the second mountain, right? And sort of self-transcending that. And I think it was, oh, 
it was Jamie who said this, right? Where she's like, I don't really like the distinction because technically speaking, nobody's sort of individually successful, right? Technically, their success is built on other people in some sort of way. That if you achieve something, right, it's because you provide some sort of service, right? You provide some sort of product that obviously other people buy and have, you know, find to be useful. So I think maybe, and I was thinking about it in this context, that I think that she's really right about that. And I think that in the sense of like um, differentiating between the first mountain man of the individualistic one, the successful one, and the sort of mountain man, really actually doesn't make much sense so in here so barry says essentially that self-transcendence in a way at least in some substantial important way is self-actualization so essentially when you become the best version of yourself what you're essentially doing is you are individually achieving but within that individual achievement you're also self-transcending because you're providing something important for the community mm -hmm. so it's like let's say i don't know hypothetically in our field right let's say medicine psychiatry psycho psychotherapy whatever so essentially right i can say that individualistic I am successful, right? Like I have a practice. Um, let's say, you know, I'm able to sort of take care of myself. I'm kind of in some sense self-sustaining, but not really. And this is where that comes in, right? Because technically speaking, I'm really not self-sustaining. That doesn't really exist. That I'm... Go ahead. It's, it, it's because you realize that, mm -hmm. that you are in the pursuit of self-actualization. Mm -hmm. The thing is, I think that the reason why uh, there was that distinction between the first mountain man and the second mountain man mm -hmm. is because the first mountain man doesn't realize that even his individual achievements are tied to the achievements of others and allowing for them to do that. Yeah. It's, I think they realize that about themselves when they transcend the first mountain and move on to the second one. I like that. Yeah, so I, but I don't think, but I think the reason why Jamie said what she said is because of the way we framed what we took from the article well, and so she used that info to, to say what she said I, I think if she read the article she would say that the first mountain man doesn't see that he's part of the community that's actually our interpretation by the way that actually wasn't how Brooks framed it so the way Brooks framed it was exactly the way we noted it so now after having these discussions and kind of our own realizations and this is obviously not a knock on David Brooks it was a really great article but actually in his article he doesn't frame it that way he makes a clear distinction between the first and the second and I think it's our helpful to do it anyway no I hear I hear it's not even meant to be a criticism, really. I, it's not, I don't even necessarily think that it's so important. But my point is that like, there really is no distinction. Yes, you're right. When you are on that kind of second mountain, that you essentially realize that it's all connected, right? It's sort of all intertwined. Oh, man, okay. There's like so much to say about this. Um, so essentially, right, we kind of come to this great realization that self-transcendence is essentially individual success, right? So kind of going back to what I do as a therapist, I kind of came to the realization that there's no such, no such thing as a self-sustaining businessman that essentially by self-transcending by providing this service for other people that for the most part i hope like helps them grow and mature and sort of helps them self-actualize that i'm in a sense transcending myself and i'm obviously becoming individually successful but the point is that i can't do it on my own and so people have this sort of notion of becoming a self-made man right or a self-made woman even though in on the right it's mostly self-made man so in that in those circles right there's this idea that you can actually kind of become who you want to become based on your own sort of sheer determination and intelligence bullshit it doesn't work that way nobody can become self-made it just you first of all there's a lot of luck in everything that you not in everything let me not say that but in a lot of what you do there's a lot of luck right warren buffett once said if i were born in peru or something i would have never been warren buffett so you get opportunities right you get luck right you obviously have to know which opportunities are actually good opportunities and you also have to know how to utilize your how to utilize your luck 
So, but the point is that for people who kind of do understand that we're all sort of intertwined and we're all interconnected and success isn't actually individual, they understand that they actually, um, that in their self-transcendence, right, in their sort of, uh, hesitate to use this term, but kind of use of people in the sense of like providing something for them that they gain something in return, which is sort of individual accomplishment, achievement, sort of you name it, right? That like... Um, they're pretty much within the fact or within the con or within the construct of them providing something really necessary for other people they in themselves and in turn become highly successful and so there's this really good show on netflix which i wanted to kind of bring up uh, i'm not really sure how popular it is but it's 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 really like kind of geared toward like college teens and people in their 20s and kind of um in their mid-20s mm -hmm. so it's kind of cool so it's called dear white people so it's definitely a part of it. oh yeah so it's a political show right but there's this like there's actually this sort of metaphysical concept within it too and so this is a spoiler alert for you guys who haven't seen it. So it's actually kind of like um, conspiratorial in a way. So in the show, kind of two of the main characters, they end up sort of, they find like um, the secret society, right? That sort of organizes the school, right? And they're like, oh, we have to find out like what their secrets are. Mm -hmm. And so they're sort of looking through all these clues, right? And so they actually end up meeting the guy or one of the people who's like one of the heads of, these or of this organization. And so he says to them, like, so he gives them like all of these different riddles that they're not able to resolve. And then he's like, you know what, guys, like we're literally lacking for membership. So just uh, can I just teach all of this stuff to you and then you could just join? And they're like, yeah, we don't care. The kids are like, we, what kids, whatever, like um, uh, young adults, I guess. So they're not, we don't care. We're not that interested. You know, it's like this isn't important to us. But the main character in the show eventually learns like this really great truth. I don't remember exactly how she came about or how she came around to finding it or discovering it. But so she was looking at the pyramid, right? And then so in the, in the show, he asked her something along the line of like what do you think it would look like being at the top of the pyramid right and she's like i don't know like i'm not even thinking about this like why well, does this make sense so then what she did was she actually flattened the pyramid right and so when you flatten it what you see is this you know big x right and obviously the square shape right so it, when you look at it on top right there's obviously this peak right which you know sort of the conspiratorial sort of movement represents kind of the illuminati or the families that run everything and in this show is pretty much the society that runs the school and pretty much kind of life as a whole because this was an ivy mm -hmm. and you know people from the ivy league according to conspiracy theories they're pretty much the controllers of the world so so what she found was that when you actually map out the pyramid, when you sort of lay it flat, it makes a big X, right? And her realization was like, holy shit, we're all interconnected. That's the great secret that they were talking about. So it's not that there's this sort of society of people on top and they kind of control everyone, but it's literally that we're all in this together. That was what she learned and that's what this sort of secret society... I guess the purpose was of the show was to show that they're actually benevolent. So the purpose of the secret society was literally to self-transcend, to kind of use their power, right, to sort of better society as a whole, right, in terms of kind of the lives of black people and obviously moving them ahead and kind of bringing everybody together and eliminating racism and bigotry. So that was the big secret of the society. And I love that, that essentially we're all interconnected and self-transcendence is in the sense self-actualization. That's what maturity is, realizing that we all depend on the uh, one another, that there's no real thing thing or such thing as self-independence it just doesn't exist yeah and and the pursuit of it is just it's just it's great it's fun like talking from personal experience the way i live nowadays as opposed to how i lived let's say five years ago mm -hmm. it's like night and day yeah it's true it's different i i used to uh i mean i don't know if i ruminated i did kind of i learned about uh let's say ego and all that I would say around 21, 22. Mm -hmm. And then really would say I started 
behaving like I understood it around 23, 24, something like that. Mm -hmm. But it's still, even then, it was still a process. It felt like level one was realizing what the hell was going on. Yes. Then level two was actually taking some sort of action. Because to turn, um, to take action first and then to uh, think about things as opposed to the other way around. Like, you can't think your way into action. It's easier to act your way into, um, into thinking mm -hmm. instead of, because uh, even if you were telling yourself, oh, I need to do this thing, I need to uh, do the podcast, I need to do this, that, 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 you're not going to think your way into doing it. Mm -hmm. You have to act first. And that was like another level to the pursuit of self-actualization. It's like, yeah, on one level you understand it maybe mentally, intellectually, yeah. but then the next step is actually putting it into action. And there's lots of different areas where people can self-actualize them. For instance, for a poet, mm -hmm. for them to, for them, the pursuit of writing, for mm -hmm. instance, would be their version of self-actualization. Purpose, for, definitely. Yeah, for their purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, Creativity too. Yeah. Yeah, for a musician, mm -hmm. it would be, uh, for example, for a pianist, it'd be playing the piano. It'd be practicing. Yeah. It would be um, producing more content and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And there are all these different areas where you can pursue self-actualization. And uh, in, for instance. Uh, um, I mean, in general, self-actualization is kind of ex trying to, in all areas, uh, optimize your life. Yeah. But in general, like, uh, sometimes I notice that when you concentrate on one particular um, thing, mm -hmm. it spreads out to other areas as well. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, uh, let's say somebody was into physical fitness or something like that. <laughs> really? I'm not, yeah. he, thinks, he thinks I'm going to talk about myself. Right? <laughs> But say somebody's into physical yeah. fitness, right? Um, the, let's say it takes a lot of um, uh, mental energy, uh, focus to do some kind of sustained, to do an activity for right. a sustained amount of time, mm -hmm. all that. Actually working that out in that particular arena, mm -hmm. say you go to socialize with somebody, do you, would you think that perhaps that focus that they bring to that particular activity, mm -hmm. they may be bringing to you, if not the same kind? Yeah. something is coming out of that particular activity. Mm -hmm. So I feel like uh, uh, some pers the pursuit of whatever is your highest uh, passion yep. can improve other areas of your uh, life too. Uh, you don't have to be so conscious of all of this, mm -hmm. but it does help to know how these things are working. So this way to kind of, like for instance, highlighting what the traits are. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I didn't actually... Uh, before reading this article, I didn't know these were the 10 traits of someone who self-actualized. Yep. So that's actually fascinating because say somebody is learning about this for the first time, mm -hmm. they could kind of see what to shoot for or what area, like how they can also measure how they are currently. Yep. And you know what I really want to also focus on just to have like a concrete definition of why. So again, right, something that we focused on initially was that it's connected to obviously physical and mental health. And just kind of to give you guys a little bit more about that is that, so there are obviously going to be some of you people out there who are going to be like, you know, why should I do this, right? What's the point, right? Sort of why shouldn't I be like a Gordon Gecko, or why shouldn't I just be sort of mostly in it for myself from figuring out a way how to kind of sustain my own life and my own livelihood and so to make myself happy. So according to Scott Kaufman, he says, self-actualization was related to higher levels of stability and the ability to protect your highest level goals from disruption by distracting impulses and thoughts, right? Like what you talked about, the racing thoughts. 
Self-actualization was also related to lower levels of dis of disruptive impulsivity. Like, um, let's say, you know, I'm self-destructive is an aspect of it. I'm out of, I feel out of control, right? And then it was also related to, um, what was I... Oh, sorry. It was also related to lower levels of non-constructive thinking, right? Have a, let's say, dark outlook on the future, often expresses doubt about myself or about the world, and a lack of authenticity and meaning, where let's say you would feel that my list lacks um, direction, you know, in terms of like what I want to accomplish, what my goals should be, or you act and feel in a way that doesn't fit you. So he stated that just as Maslow predicted, those with higher self-actualization scores were much more motivated by growth, exploration, and love of humanity than the fulfillment of deficiencies and basic needs, right? So what's more, self-actualization scores were associated with multiple indicators of well-being, and I really, really want to highlight this, including, including a sense of greater life satisfaction, curiosity, self-acceptance, positive relationships, environmental mastery, personal growth, autonomy, and purpose in life. So I think that's a sort of, you know, pretty succinct answer as to why you should pursue self-actualization. No, 100%. Yeah. On top of, you know, your terror of death. Yeah, and it's, it's actually, I'm happy that you... You read that right there because it shows the contrast of one way of being versus another. Right. For instance, so one thing is like let's say somebody like in our audience, and I, I can definitely relate to this at one particular point. Mm -hmm. Say you realize, okay, it's I see why it's important to pursue self-actualization. Yeah. What can I do? How can I leverage whatever I'm feeling now or where I'm at now mm -hmm. and kind of start to pursue that? So yeah. there's actually this uh, quote I was looking at earlier. Mm -hmm. Um Let's see. I have it here. I'm going to get it right now. So, pretty much, it's a quote by uh, Maslow. Mm -hmm. So, he who uh, belies his talent, the born painter who sells stockings instead, the intelligent man who lives a stupid life, the man who sees the truth and keeps his mouth shut, the coward who gives up his manliness, all these people perceive in a deep way that they have done wrong to themselves and despise themselves for it. Yep. Out of this self-punishment may come only neuroses, but there may equally come renewed courage. And this is important. Uh, renewed courage, righteous indignation, increased self-respect because of thereafter doing the right thing. In a word, growth and improvement can come through pain and conflict. So. That's very, that's very, very important because you can leverage your pain to act as kind of like a motivator for you. It can teach you that it's, it can tell you to act in a certain way to uh, pursue growth. Uh, for instance, when I felt a lot of pain, I understood that I was going to leverage that pain and then start to take action there. You can actually, you could hear the cat right now, yes. right? Okay, cool. Damn. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. That's fine. It's all good. I have a cat now. <laughs> but yeah. So that that's very that's very important because um, let's say somebody is listening to this right now and they're in a place where they're like, well, self-actualization sounds great, mm -hmm. but like, okay, is this even for me? Can I do this? Yeah. And I would, I would say definitely. I think uh, one, if uh, I wish you guys could see what I was like years ago. <laughs> If you could see what I was like, I'm sure you're not even at. It's possible somebody could be in a worse spot than what I was. But say, but just for fun, I bet you there's a certain segment of the people who would be watching this that if they knew what it was before, mm -hmm. you'd be like, oh, okay, this is doable. This guy can do it. Yeah, I can do it. You know. That's funny. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, do you think it's possible probably for anyone to pursue yeah, self-actually? Absolutely. Because right? And I love that the terms are, or the kind of 10 items are pretty vague, right? Which they're supposed to be. Because technically what's one purpose for one person doesn't necessarily mean it's one purpose. It's the same purpose for the other. Same thing with creativity, right? What one person manifests as their creative side is not necessarily the same thing as another. So. Oh, yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, there's different disciplines. Yeah. And yeah, so you can have uh, attained self-actualization. It doesn't matter what discipline you're in. You don't have to be into psychology. You don't have to be no. into philosophy. Yeah. Knowing about this is useful, but you don't have to fully learn about Maslow in order to understand this. You, you can undertake the discipline you're currently trying to pursue yep. and just apply this sort of concept to it and excel in that particular area, mm -hmm. which is actually beautiful. I love that it's so general that yeah. you can do that. Yeah. yeah. Man. So, self-actualization. So how many people do you think, like, I mean, obviously not naming anybody specific, but like out of all of the people, like, let's say, you know, or I know, or we know together, how many people do you think actually come close to being self-actualized? I know why you're bringing that up. Why? So Maslow thought that, uh, Maslow thought that it, it was only rare individuals that would yes, pursue. Yes, he, he did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, and I, and Kaufman highlights this in his article too, and mm -hmm. I agree with him. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a rare thing to want to pursue self-actualization, especially yeah. why he wrote this article. Yeah. He framed it as, why is it important to talk about self-actualization in modern society? Mm -hmm. Because more and more people's basic needs are being met. Yes. There's no way that there are not going to be more people who will not feel that um, need to do something else, yes. to pursue some higher goal, yep. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there are many people who are not doing it, who are currently just kind of doing... Now, I wouldn't say what society tells them to do, and I'm not trying to judge any, but it's not that. It's just like, I, here's the thing. We're, we're all kind of under this notion of, okay, you uh, go to school, uh, go to college, degree, right. get the job, family, have children. Yes. You make it sound then so exciting. It, right? It does, I, I'm not particularly excited about it. <laughs> yeah, actually. I can tell. I don't, I, I don't actually like that vision of it. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, it's fine. It's good. But why did I say it in that particular tone? Mm -hmm. Because it, it's not someone's own intention. And mm -hmm. I think that's actually the important key missing piece to this. Mm -hmm. Is when when you realize that uh, if, if this is resonating with you, you may realize that there's some there's something you want to pursue mm -hmm. that there, there's something else that you may want to be doing that you're not doing yeah. and i would say instead of getting down about it use it yeah use it to uh, try something new to take action where otherwise you wouldn't and also if you can't do it all at once mm -hmm. baby step yeah baby step it absolutely i did it uh for instance um what can i say uh I, you hate when i bring up the gym <laughs> it's not that i hate it it's she just a lot he says I bring up the gym a lot. In the comments, let us know if I talk about it too much. But no, I don't joking. hate it per se. I know. Yeah. Okay. So, but here's the thing. When I started going, right. even though I knew it was good for me, yeah. I, I could go barely once a week. I for the time it. that I went, it wasn't that long. Mm -hmm. The things that I did weren't even the right things to do there. Yeah. So there's lots of layers to what wasn't quote-unquote right about it. Right. But I tried to keep going. Mm -hmm. And eventually... There was momentum. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what it is. It's just you have to kind of build momentum yeah. in the pursuit of self-actualization. Take baby steps where needed. It, you don't have to do everything at once. Yep. Um, it's, yeah, it, it's it's very doable. Yep. You just have to have a, uh, you have to learn about yourself and like what kind of triggers you, what what are, what, uh, what your buttons are in a sense. Yep. Just, yeah, because I think it's 
different for different people. Mm-hmm. It's common depending, like, for example, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Then there's other people who will be like, uh, no, it's actually very easy for me to, once I decide to do something, to do it. For some people it is, yeah. Yeah, so but, it depends. But the point is that, so, and this is what Scott talks about in his, or this is what Scott talks about in his article. So, pretty much with self-actualization, so yes, Maslow thought it was actually, you know, rare, but technically, it actually exists on the bell curve, right? So, like, if you guys have ever seen a bell curve, like, it looks like, you know, this kind of slope, well, let me see, <laughs> the camera. So, it's like a slope where you have kind of like you know sort of people at one end of the spectrum and other people at the other end of the spectrum right and somewhere in the middle is obviously everybody that's on average right for the most part like the average person in statistical terms so what Kaufman actually notes is that when it comes to these traits of self-actualization some people are actually somewhere in the middle right so on average let's say out of these 10 traits right most people are like out of five like they have five out of ten so obviously there are people who have much less and then there are people who have many more but the point is that pretty much anyone can do it that it's not something that let's say requires you to be a deep thinker or a deep philosopher or to have like this sort of in-depth knowledge of humanity or the human psyche no 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 like anybody can literally do this and for the most part all of you guys listening most of you have already have achieved at least half of this list so that's pretty cool right so it's not like you're climbing up this mountain right no pun intended so you're not really climbing up a mountain right it's like because some people like with the gym right they think oh my god i'm pretty much starting from scratch right and it's the same thing with self-actualization people think like hey you know what i'm not so great i don't really know like this seems like a lot technically it's not and if you were to ask some of the people in your own lives right you would find out that pretty much you actually have the vast majority of these qualities or at least again half of them but it's something that you could just continue to build on and and it's even possible that if let's say for the most part you manifest let's say five out of ten of these qualities for the most part right you know kind of in most situations and let's say maybe the other five qualities you even sometimes manifest right not always but let's say in some situations you do some situations you don't all you're really doing is just building up on that you're just sort of increasing the likelihood that you're going to manifest those other qualities in more situations so it's sort of more complex than just I'm either let's say I have this quality or I don't because I can tell you in some situations I do feel at peace or I like let's say calm and there are let's say even again kind of going back to therapy there are some clients that I've had who are very difficult that I was just able to however I'm not really exactly sure but just sort of stay calm and just kind of resolve the situation but then with other clients I wasn't I wasn't able to what unconscious factors sort of played into that I'm not exactly sure but the point is that we're really it's very unlikely that even if let's say for the most part we're five of these qualities that let's say the other five qualities whatever they are that we can't manifest them or what that we don't let's say in some to some respect in our kind of day-to-day lives so you're just building right it's like a pyramid and the fact that you're trying to build that's the pursuit and that particular pursuit is just so meaningful yeah you you would see it from your own experience um a lot of you are already on that particular path but now you know more about it yeah and you'll be happier yeah all right uh, final thoughts yeah, yes. Um, if you want to learn about self-actualization, more about it, you can watch other episodes, uh, topics that we've talked about in the podcast. For instance, like things like nuanced thinking. Um, we talked about community, what it's like to be of service to that's others. That's actually interesting. Nuanced thinking, I think, is a part of self-actualization too. Of course, yeah. yeah. As far as uh, uh, equanimity, in a sense, or acceptance yeah. in general. Reality, right. Seeing or reality. seeing reality yeah. the way it is. Yeah. There's yeah, a lot of things that we talk about that are very closely tied to self-actualization in the previous episodes we've done and the ones that we're going to do in the future. Most definitely. Yeah, yeah if, you, if you want to follow us, 
Follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Facebook and Instagram. Yep. On Twitter, we're at Seize underscore podcast. Yep. And yeah, click the subscribe button. Hit the bell. Hit the bell. Hit the bell. Hit the bell. Somewhere. That way. Hit the bell that way. And you'll get notifications about the episode. Yeah. And, and then also, we want to hear your stories. So if you guys get a chance and you check us out on the O4L online network, so when you go to the Seize the Moment podcast page, what it is is that somewhere on the bottom, there's a section called We Want to Hear Your Story. So just shoot us a comment or leave us a story and let us know how you felt like or where you are in your journey of self-actualization. Oh, yeah. And the link there is going to be in the description. Yep. And yeah, look forward to that. And, and maybe we'll read your story on air. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So guys, have a great day and see you next time.